That's Romans, the seventh chapter, starting with the 14th verse. And we will be reading until verse 25. For we know that the law is a spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer that I do it. But sin dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want. But the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin dwells within me. So I find it good. I find it to be the law when I want to do what is good. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of the sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then in my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God. But with my flesh, I'm a slave to sin. God's word for God's people and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, for the time that is ours to share together, I want to spend a little time talking about uh, dealing with the contradictions dealing with the contradictions. We are people, humans I mean, that have to deal with contradictions. And it's strange because we're full of contradictions, but we don't want to acknowledge them sometimes. And when we see somebody else contradict themselves, we point that out as a flaw. But we are people of contradictions. Uh, matter of fact, that's one of the things that uh, they always say against the Christian church is that the Bible contradicts itself. And I've learned through my studies that technically it does. But we spend about a bunch of time talking about uh, the Bible like it's a book when it's really a library. Biblia in in in. in the Latin is library. It's not one single book. These are a bunch of books that come together to make a, a thread, a theme, and that theme is Jesus is Lord. And yes, it does contradict itself, but I, I, I'm reminded of the story that uh, the Archbishop Veron Ash said once. Uh, he was on a plane uh, going somewhere, and he happened to be sitting next to an atheist that was on his way to an atheist convention. And they were sitting right next to each other. Here you have an archbishop in the Mar Thoma Orthodox Church, which was founded by the disciple Thomas, uh, Doubting Thomas. He actually went out around the world, and he's the only disciple that actually left the area to found churches all over the world. The rest of them kind of stayed in this area, but Doubting Thomas actually went out and preached the gospel to the world. 
So we got to be careful about that. Um, so you have this archbishop sitting next to this uh, atheist on his way to a national atheist convention, and he tells them that I can destroy your faith right now. Archbishop said, do it. Let's see this. And he said that uh, every, every other religion, the main focal point of the religion, the main person in the religion, they wrote their own book. The prophet Muhammad wrote the Quran. Uh, uh, Buddha wrote his book. Krishna wrote his book. Everybody else wrote their own book. But Jesus seems to have other people writing his book. And the four that made the canon, the gospel according to Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, contradict each other. And so why is that? And I mean, I have a what they call a, a synoptic gospel that actually compares all of, well, it compares the three together and it shows you where this story is and this one and not in this one. And certain things are out of order. And in one book, Jesus' ministry, they cover three years and in the other three, they cover just one but that is the beauty of it what the archbishop said is that your story about Jesus is not going to be the same as the next story so the gospel according to Johnny is going to be different than the gospel according to Harvey or Latia or Hattius it's going to be different because it's their story but we are a mass of contradictions we have these contradictions and it becomes a part of human behavior and it's something we all strive to understand we offer the educational system offers degrees in psychology and sociology and uh, those who seem to get along with people in life who are seem to be more likable seem to get a lot further in life and we spend a great amount of time trying to figure out why and how somebody did something or why they didn't do something. We spend so much time trying to figure these things out because the stuff we do, the stuff we want to do rather, we sometimes don't. And the stuff that we don't want to do, we sometimes do. We become this walking, talking mass of contradictions. And we spend time trying to figure it out. I know I should work out a little more and eat a lot less red meat and drink a lot less sugary drinks. But I'm working on it. Uh, Renaissance author uh, Mikhail de Montaigne said that he wrote, I write to keep myself from going mad from the contradictions I find among mankind and to work out some of those contradictions for myself. Uh, a Catholic monk by the name of Thomas Merton said, the very contradictions in my life are in some ways signs of God's mercy to me. See, during this time the Apostle Paul was writing, you had these pious Jews that believed in a strict observance of the law. And they were scared of that they were going to break the law and what would happen if they broke any of these laws. And you also had these new, I say Christians, but they weren't necessarily called Christians at that time. The people who believed Jesus Christ rose from the dead were just followers of the way 
or his disciples or his students, but I say Christians so that we can put a time on it. You had early Christians that were struggling to observe the laws as well. And this life became a struggle of the flesh and the spirit. And uh, Paul does not minimize his struggle here in the text. Yes, we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are the apple of God's eye. But we still have our struggles. And Paul sort of takes a look at himself in this. He, he exercises some self-examination. Some might even say he's taking a selfie without the camera. As I was researching for this sermon, I got entertained at some of the commentaries I read. Because... There were some commentaries that were arguing that Paul, in this text, was not speaking on his own struggles. They didn't want such a giant of, a fa- of the faith, someone who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. They didn't want to imagine this person having struggles. They, they go so far, even though when we read the text, it says all over, I, me, I, me. Oh, no, he's not writing in first person. He's not. He's, this is a, a general first person he's using to connect to the audience. He's not talking about himself. That is why a lot of the secular world doesn't want anything to do with Christians. Uh, We expect our leaders to be perfect. We expect the people to come in to be perfect. We expect everybody to be perfect before they get here. We, We want them to already know how to do the job before they get in, as opposed to trying to help them grow. And the higher rank you think you have in the body of Christ, the worse off it seems to be. Don't let us get on the trustee board or become a deacon or be an elder or a mother of the church, then you really big stuff. I uh, spend some time, and, and in the worst <laughs> offenders are the clergy. I spend some time. I spend some time in some of these Facebook groups, uh, you know, talking to other pastors and dialoguing with pastors all over the country. It's a great way to build a network. But some of them. ain't quite there. They are mad. Some of these guys and women will get mad if you don't address them by their title. (laughs) In the group. Now, mind you, we on a Facebook group. We could be talking about uh, the new vestment that came out or how did someone, how would you preach this scripture if you had to preach it on Sunday? And you need to address me as chief apostle when you talk to me, good sir. You want me to call you chief apostle or archbishop primate or the presiding prelate of whatever you are and have the nerve to say something about it every time somebody does not address you by that. Why? Now, I'm not one to despise small beginnings, but if I had 10 names in my title, but only two members in my church, I might spend a little less time on my honorifics 
and a little more time on my ministry. Literally, people in there demanding that they be addressed as the archbishop and they got five members in their church. Three of them are the apostles of the church. And that's their their wife and their sister-in-law. And then it's two more members of the church, but that's both their armor bearers. And your church is the eternal order of the cherubim and seraphim, 12 apostles, 12 tribes of kingdom, Mount Christ healing, non-denominational incorporated. But we struggling because we want to be called something and we want to be on the title. And we spend a little time in ministry and I'm not one to despise small beginnings by any means. So... I guess I would put a picture of Kermit the Frog up saying it ain't my business, though. We have to be short on the honorifics and the pomp and circumstance and understand that this is a ministry. We all struggle. There's no use trying to pretend that we don't. The Bible says in Romans uh, 3 and 23 that all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't think of ourselves as perfect. If we did think of ourselves as perfect, I feel like it would be hard for us to be able to see the God in others. And trying to present ourselves as perfect sets us up for even more contradictions. So how do we do it? Uh, we, we have to understand first leg of this three-leg race. Number one, that it won't be effortless. In verse 17, Paul can speak of the warring of the flesh and nothing good because God gave him an understanding of, God, of, of Donald Lawrence's song before he even wrote it. We are not natural beings having a spiritual experience but we are spiritual beings living a natural life it's not going to be effortless but we got to understand that we're doing this a little differently and this natural experience when the temptation comes we have to understand that we will always have a way out 1 Corinthians 10 13 says that no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But in the testing. Will also provide you a way of escape. So that you may be able to endure it. It's not effortless. But we will always have a way out. It's not meant to be easy. Secondly. We need to expect to encounter enemies says in verse 21 when he wants to do good evil lies close at hand so when you try to do what you want to do somebody is going to test you you have to expect enemies Paul Newman an actor and a director was quoted as saying a man with no enemies is a man with no character there's another variation on that that was quoted a little bit before that uh, by uh, Mick Farron from 
the greatest minds of all time, he says, if you have no enemies, you don't have character. Long story short, all the greats are hated on. If you are in a position where everybody likes you all the time, you might want to take a look at some of your values. Now, that don't mean you're supposed to get in a fight every day. But you also cannot please all the people all the time without lying to somebody. And it's not going to be easy. It requires a lot of hard work. Said before that they say it takes 10,000 hours of practice on any given skill before you can become proficient at it. This Friday I was watching Rocky 2. And there was a scene in the movie that stuck out to me. Uh, Rocky's trainer was a character named Mickey. Um, and this is a boxing movie, and he was preparing Rocky for his next fight. And Rocky told him, you know, for you to be able to last 45 minutes in the ring with Apollo Creed, you need to train 45,000 minutes. He went on to tell him he hadn't trained just one, but the point was that stuck out to me was the 45,000 minutes for the 45-minute fight. That's a 1,000 minutes of practice for every minute he needed to last in the ring. We spend a lot of time where we have become this, this microwave culture. We have a mentality to the point that we expect success to come without much time and without much effort. And I've seen it most recently in the way we treat some of our athletes. Now, I'm not the biggest LeBron James fan. I will be the first to admit it. But that man has a tremendous amount of pressure on him. Everybody is expecting him to be the next Michael Jordan. And they are expecting it to the point that if he does not lead his team, and by lead I mean actually contribute, not just happen to be on the team and hit a shot or two, <coughs> Robert Ory, <coughs> if he doesn't um, lead his team to six championships or more, he's going to be considered a failure. Now, some of that he put upon himself. Written out, you know, an hour and a half of airtime to announce his decision about taking his talents to South Beach. And when he finally got to South Beach, he said, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight. Kind of put some of that pressure on him, but he was in the environment that allowed for it to happen. But it's hard to get six championships in the NBA. There are so many things that have to happen over an 82-game series plus the playoffs. But the pressure is there because everybody saw somebody else do it, and now they think it's easy. Think you can just roll out the bed and score 35 points a game on some of the greatest athletes in the world. It takes work. There's a video out I saw that kind of uh, covered it. It's a, uh, a mashup where they took two videos and edited them together and loaded it up on YouTube. And what it was was uh, it was combining Michael Jordan's Maybe video from Nike with LeBron James' Rise video. And it starts off with LeBron James uh, addressing some of the hate that he's received 
But the part that stuck out to me was the part that they edited in of Michael Jordan's voiceover where he says, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I led you to believe it was easy when it wasn't. Maybe I made you think that the highlights started at the free throw line and not in the gym. Jordan got to where he got because not only did he work out with his team, but he worked out after the game, lifted weights after the game, and sometimes lifted weights until 2 and 3 in the morning, always trying to get better and faster and stronger. We have to work at these things. And not only do we have to work at them, we have to repeat them. Repetition is the mother of skill. We need to spend some time in repetition getting some reps in the word, getting some rep in prayer, repeating the fasting, the praying, repeating the going to church. It's work. The more we do it, the easier it becomes. I, I, I like it to, to track practice. You know, when you are on the track team and your event is the 100 meter dash you do not spend your practice running 100 meter dashes you run 400s you run 300s you run 200s and you run them repeatedly you spend all this time preparing for 10 or 11 seconds but you spend hours running miles and miles and miles at practice so that you build up your endurance for that one time that it really matters It won't be easy. We can't expect it to be effortless. We have to expect enemies and it won't be easy. And finally, in order to deal with the the, uh, contradictions, you need to expect to call upon your extraction. Extraction has three definitions and I'll focus on the second one Uh, but the first definition is what we all know it's the process of drawing out or extracting something but definition number two is ancestry or origin or family we need to expect to call upon our extraction and we call upon our extraction by practice verse 24 and 25 wretched man that I am who will recognize me from this body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ we need to call upon our family we are wretched that's what the text says but with the help of the Lord we can become the righteousness of God I'm reminded of our daughter, LB. She has a particular toy she likes to play with. It's a, it's a, a, a Caillou doll. The head comes off real easy on this doll. Comes off super easy. The first time the head came off of this doll, LB could not be consoled. She cried loud and long. Even after I put the head back on and gave it back to her. She cried. 
But now, just yesterday, the head came off. She grabbed both pieces of the doll, walked over to Daddy, and just handed it to him and said, Daddy, she has had practice turning her problem over to her father because her father knows how to fix it. It reminded me of Matthew 18, 3 and 5 because that was a clear example. Truly, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes such child with my name welcomes me. We ought to spend more time handing over our broken things to our heavenly father. Because he knows how to put things back together. We got to call upon our family. That's why I appreciate some of the more traditional gospel songs. Because they show us that this is not just by our own doing. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's a precious fountain. Free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. It didn't say keep me next to myself. Matter of fact, they didn't even say I'm going to go next to something. It said Jesus keep me near the cross. We need Jesus to keep us near the cross. Another one, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy and I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he is always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Didn't say I'm walking by myself. Didn't say when along life's narrow way, I'm going to figure it out for my own self. No. No, we got help. We got help walking with us and talking with us and walking with us along life's narrow way. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't. Had many tears and sorrows. Had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come only to make me strong. Through it all. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. That's what I'm getting at. We cannot deal with these, te- these, these contradictions by ourselves. We need help. Look at me. I'm a testimony. I didn't make it on my own. I'm not standing here all alone. It's Jesus who gave me this opportunity. Look at me, I'm a testimony. We can't do this by ourselves. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 says, Even considering the exceptional character of the revelations, therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient. 
for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all day more gladly of my weakness. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with my weakness. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, I am strong. We need help. We're not to do this on our own. That is the only way we can deal with the contradictions. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not. Neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. And to them who have no might, he increaseth their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To deal with the contradictions, to deal with us doing the things that we don't want to do and not doing the things that we want to do, we need help. And the help is here through Christ Jesus. That is how we deal with the contradictions. We cannot make it on our own. In our weakness, God makes us strong. God keeps us putting one foot in front of the other. He keeps giving us grace and mercy new every morning. God gives us the ability to carry on and deal with the contradictions. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.